Hey guys, this is Eric. I'm one of the ministers here at the Robertsdale Church of Christ. I just want to say thank you for checking out this message, and I'd like to invite you to join us for worship on Sundays at 1030 if you're ever in the Robertsdale area. If you want to find out more information about the Robertsdale Church, head over to our website at robertsdalechurch.com. All right, let's get to the message. I'm praying that God will use this message to bless you and will help you grow closer to Jesus Christ. Over the month of December, we've, uh, we've been going through that verse that was just read to us, looking at the different titles that were given to Jesus some 700 years before he was ever born, these titles that would define who he would become as the Messiah. And we started out with that first one, Wonderful Counselor, talking about how Jesus knows us better than we know ourselves, and he knows everything about us, and most importantly, he knows what we need to do, especially as we're living in a world that's full of conflicting advice. The next week, we talked about how he's the mighty God. He is the great El Gabor. He is the great divine warrior king who is able to conquer the darkness of this world. He conquered sin. He conquered the grave. He has power over the physical and the spiritual world. And then last week, we talked about that title, Everlasting Father, that can be kind of confusing. Is Jesus the Father? No, but he came to us with the perfect eternal affection of an everlasting Father. And we looked each week at a scene from his life. And last week, the scene where Jesus is interacting with the woman that had the issue of bleeding, and he heals her, and then he looks at her and he says, daughter. And we talked about what it means for us to become children of God. And today, on Christmas Eve, we're going to conclude with this title, Prince of Peace. And I know what some of you are thinking. Boy, this time of the year doesn't have a whole lot of peace. I mean, I know it's supposed to, but it doesn't feel very peaceful, does it? The chaos of buying gifts and getting ready for family to come over or going to the 17 different houses over the holidays that you're going to visit and just the unsettling feeling that goes along that can be felt during this time of the year. It's not how it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be a time of peace. There's a lot of different ideas that come to mind, maybe comes to your mind, comes to my mind when I think about the word peace. One of the things that immediately pops in is just the absence of conflict. We're going to talk about that. Maybe for you, when you think about peace, you think about sitting at the beach in a very relaxing feeling or just watching the sunset and just feeling that emotion of peace. But the Bible actually has a lot more to say about peace. I want to look at this title that was given to Jesus, Prince of Peace, because the original phrase is really fascinating. In the Hebrew, it says, Sar Shalom. I'm going to start with that second word. Maybe you've heard of the word Shalom. You know, if you were to travel over to Israel, which I wouldn't recommend doing that right now, but if you were to go to Israel and you were to walk around when you walked into a shop or you were just to walk around town and somebody greeted you, they probably wouldn't say, hey, how are you doing like we do here in the South? They would say, shalom. It it had become a greeting. It's a word that means prosperity, peace, well-being. Now, in the Bible, when you read about shalom, it's really interesting, especially in the book of Leviticus, which may not be your most exciting book of the Bible, but there is this little section that talks about peace offerings. If you've done something to offend somebody else or you've done something to offend God, then you're going to bring what's called a shalom offering because what you've done is you have broken that relationship in some capacity. Maybe you've sinned in some regard, you've offended an individual, and you're going to bring a shalom offering, a peace offering, because it's going to make it whole again. It's going to restore what was broken. That's the idea behind this word, 
peace or this word shalom. Whatever Jesus is going to do, he's going to restore and to make whole what was previously broken. He's going to bring us well-being and safety. But let's talk about that other word, prince, or in the Hebrew, the word sar. It's translated prince, but it could be translated a couple of different words. It could be translated ruler, commander, captain. It's a word that has behind it a militaristic tone. And what it's telling us is that Jesus is going to lead an army. He's going to lead a group of soldiers in some capacity that's going to bring peace on the earth. Now that might seem sort of ironic or oxymoronic. How in the world can someone who is in command of an army going to bring that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Usually when an army comes onto the scene, it's anything but peace. And not to mention how is Jesus going to bring peace on earth, but more importantly and more personally, how is he going to bring peace to my life and to your life? So after Isaiah is going to write this verse in Isaiah chapter 9, and right up until and through the time of Jesus, there was a new empire that was ruling the world at that time the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire had this phrase, Pax Romana. It means the peace of Rome. See, Rome had claimed to bring peace on earth. How did they do it? Well, through tyrannical force, through crucifying anybody who would rebel against Rome, and also through this massive army that they would place soldiers throughout the different territories to keep the peace. And because nobody was fighting back, because there weren't any more wars to be fought, because the citizens had submitted to the rule of Rome, they claimed Pax Romana, peace on earth. There's no conflict on the earth, therefore the world is at peace. But you and I both know peace is not defined by the absence of conflict. Today there's a battle that's going on over in the Middle East between Israel and the region of Gaza, a terrorist organization known as Hamas. And you and I both know that if they, if they decided to have a ceasefire, that it would not bring peace to that region. You realize that, right? I mean, granted, that would be a good thing to happen for a ceasefire, but that would not bring peace to the region. It would just simply stop the fighting and the killing, but you would not describe that as a peaceful situation. Let's make it a little more closer to home. Have you ever known of a married couple who was married to one another, which is why they're a married couple, sorry, a little redundant. And they lived together, but they didn't really talk to one another. They decided to stay together because of their children. They didn't want to make their children experience a, a divorce, but they don't really talk to one another. They live in the same house, but they don't sleep in the same room. They have no relationship. I mean, don't get me wrong, they don't argue, but they only, they only have a lack of arguing because they have a lack of communicating. Would you define that as a peaceful marriage? No. You see, the absence of conflict is not the definition of peace. So what is Jesus claiming to bring when it says he would be the prince of peace? You know, it was on that night that we watched that video of, I love that video with the children. I appreciate Brad uh, working through my forgetfulness and making sure that we could watch that video that we showed at the beginning of the service of those kids describing the birth narrative of Jesus. It's one of my favorite videos ever, especially the part about the Jordans. Uh, I don't think Jesus wore Jordans, but if they were around, he probably would have. It'd be pretty awesome. 
But that night that Jesus was born, it tells us in Luke chapter 2 that there were shepherds who were out in the fields and they were watching over their flocks when all of a sudden there was an angel that appeared and the angel had a very powerful message. The angel told them that there in the city of David, a child had been born who would save the world. And then all of a sudden it says suddenly, and I want you to picture that they were already frightened because they had been visited by an angel. And it's not because the angel in his appearance was necessarily terrifying, but it was because being, being visited by a divine being is a startling experience. And then it says suddenly, just while he was talking, all of a sudden out of nowhere, there's this multitude of a heavenly host with the angel praising God and saying glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. When you, read, when you read that phrase, the heavenly host, that's the Bible's way of describing the heavenly army. That who shows up at the birth announcement of Jesus, but the very heavenly army itself. Along with this angel was a multitude, an entire army who had come to visit the Messiah when he's born into the world. The very one who would become the commander of this heavenly army, the prince of peace himself. And there they come to visit him and they break out in song and glory to God, praising God because this prince of peace had been born on the earth who would bring us peace in our life. And so what I want us to think about this morning is the fact that peace is not defined by the absence of conflict, but rather it's found in the presence of Christ. So each week we've looked at a different scene from the life of Jesus and not just read it together, but tried to picture ourselves there in that moment. And there's this scene in Mark chapter four, verses 35 to 41, where it talks about Jesus had been teaching and preaching all day. He's talking about the kingdom of God. He's healing the sick. And you got to imagine that that's an exhausting day for Jesus. Even though he's God in the flesh, he's still fully human and it wore him out. And so he it's his disciples and they get in the boat and they're going to cross the Sea of Galilee. Seas are really, the word sea is really not a great description. It wasn't an ocean. It's just a really, really, really big lake. And it's surrounded by mountains all the way around it. And this is an area that these guys had grown up in and around. In fact, in the boat are multiple men who are professional fishermen. And they get in the boat and they're just going to row to the other side. And it's not a little five-minute row. It's going to take a little bit of time to get across the Sea of Galilee, depending on where they're crossing. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, breaking over the side of the mountain is a really nasty storm. And, and they're rowing as quickly as they can to get to the other side. But then the water gets so rough that it's almost just keeping them from getting to the other side. The waves have grown. The wind is happening. The water is starting to fill up with water. Excuse me, the boat is starting to fill up with water. So they're bailing water and they're terrified. Now, I've never been deep sea fishing primarily because of what would potentially happen if I go deep sea fishing. It's not getting seasick. No, that, that doesn't really bother me. It's the whole catching the fish thing that bothers me because I wouldn't know what to do when I got a fish on the line. I just have to hand it off and say, here you go. I have no idea what to do. And no, I'm not touching that thing. Not at all. So I'm not a fisherman, but I did grow up on the water. There's a rule of thumb if you're ever out on the water with professional fishermen and you get caught in a storm. If they're totally calm, you just stay calm. Everything's going to be okay. You're going to feel this need to panic. Would you just follow their lead? If they're calm, just act cool. 
But if they're panicked, then you just lose your mind because you're in good company and you just might go down. And that's what these guys are thinking. This is a storm unlike any other storm. They've been out on the Sea of Galilee. They've gone through plenty of storms, but this one was different. This one they thought is going to end it all. Our boat's going to sink. We're going to drown right here out on the water. And at some point, somebody said, where's Jesus? Here we are bailing water, trying to get to the other side. There's 13 of us on the boat, only 12 of us are working. Where's Jesus? And they find him, he's down underneath the stern of the boat, and he's sleeping. And you might be thinking, man, I wish I could sleep like that. Let me tell you what, I can. I have a profound ability to sleep in the craziest environments. If I'm tired and I'm ready for a nap, it does not matter what is going on, just get me still and give me about 20 minutes and I will be good to go. In fact, several years ago, we were at Gulf Coast Bible Camp. We're in the kitchen, a very loud environment. They're preparing a meal, people are in there talking, and I grabbed a metal chair, I slid it against the cinder block wall, I propped my head against the cinder block wall, and for the next 20 minutes, I was out. I'm talking like jaw open, maybe drool running out, Haley's got a picture that I'm trying to destroy, and I, I slept really, really good. So I can appreciate what Jesus is experiencing when you get a certain level of tired, you can sleep soundly. And they come to him and they wake him up, and they didn't just walk to him and say, hey, Jesus got a little problem. No, they're frantic. They say, Jesus, don't you care? Imagine being woken up with that question. That's an accusation, is it not? Don't you care? We're out here trying to save ourselves, and you're sleeping like a baby in the middle of the boat. Don't you care we're going to drown? Have you ever asked the Lord that question? I mean, you probably rephrased it. You probably applied it to your situation. Jesus, don't you care? that I'm overwhelmed with grief? Jesus, don't you care what's going on at my job? Jesus, don't you care what's happening in my family? Jesus, don't you care the things that I'm battling in my mind and in my heart? If you've ever asked that, you're in good company. I have too. Plenty of us in this room have as well. So welcome. He's not bothered by your question. He didn't get up and rebuke his disciples for accusing him for a lack of care. In fact, what Jesus did is he got up and he spoke up. And he speaks out to the wind and the waves and he cries out, peace, be still. I don't know if he shouted, if he got his voice as deep as he could possibly go. I don't know if it echoed. But I can tell you what happened. The wind and the waves obeyed. Instant calm. Rain dies down. Water becomes smooth as glass. And he's speaking to the wind and the waves, but he's also speaking to his disciples. And apparently they didn't receive the message because then he looks at them and he says, why are you still afraid? Do you still have a lack of faith? For whatever reason, his command to silence the wind and the waves did not silence their hearts either. They were still panicked. And there's a couple takeaways I think we can learn from this story. Number one, life does not always prepare us for the storm that's coming. Amen? Yeah, yeah. Uh, thank you for the three of you that have gone through hard times. I'm going to assume the rest of you said an inaudible amen, because I know that there's more stories in this room that could be told of the difficulties that you've experienced, of how life changes just in a phone call, in an instant. Some of you have gotten one of those calls. A loved one who's sick is not doing well family member who's been in a really serious car accident, pregnancy that ended in a miscarriage, a job that you thought was totally secure, gone 
in a moment. Life doesn't prepare us for the storm that's coming. These disciples didn't have the Weather Channel app to look at it and go, hey guys, probably should wait about an hour and a half before we row across. There's a storm that's coming. It was night. They couldn't even see the darkness of clouds. And let me tell you, there's no app. There's no AI tool. There's no inclination. There is nothing that can let you know that there's a storm of life that's brewing just over the other side that's going to hit you when you least expect it. And there's nothing that you can do to prepare yourself for what you're going to experience. You can only try to prepare your faith and your heart to fully trust in God. There's no course you can go through. There's no college degree. There's no YouTube video you can watch to prepare yourself for some situations that you have experienced and that you will experience in life. And if we're honest, the reason why we have so much fear is because we're not fully trusting in God. We're completely, we have no peace in our life because our life is filled with fear. And, And if we really think about why does this happen, why do I get so afraid? Why do I get my, allow my heart to get filled with so much anxiety? It's not because of the circumstances. That's what we're guilty of looking at. These disciples were so afraid because all they focused on was the storm. They're looking around them and they're going, there's no way we're going to make it out of here. There's nothing we can do to change our situation. Yet the one who deserved their focus, the one who could speak to the storm and above the storm was asleep in the boat. But they weren't looking at him at all. And if I'm honest with you, the times that my heart is filled with anxiety, the times that I allow fear to control me, is the times that my focus is off. Looking at the circumstance, looking at my inability to control it. You want to get me stressed out? You just take away my control. My focus is off. The disciples' focus was off. Maybe yours has been too. When there's fear present, you can guarantee that a lack of faith is co-piloting it as well. Because they go hand in hand. If you have fear, it's because of a lack of faith. If you have a lack of faith, it's going to produce fear. The answer is what we are focusing on. If the disciples had simply recognized that, yeah, this is a terrible storm, but we've been in the presence of the very person who's been healing the sick all day long. If he can overturn an incurable disease and ailment, do we think he can handle a storm? If we're in the very boat of the mighty God himself, God in the flesh, who created the storm, can he calm the storm? Yes, he absolutely can. But also, we need to remind ourselves that God will not always calm the storm around us, but he will always seek to calm that storm that is raging within us because he has the ability to command peace in our lives and praise him for that. You know, it's kind of like when your kids get to fussing with one another and as a parent, you're like, hey, 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 Listen to me, just be quiet, right? They're just yeah, yeah, and they won't stop. And finally, you get a little loud to grab their attention. Sometimes we need God to do that to us, don't we? Hey, 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 
calm down. Now, I know some of you hate being told to calm down. You're like, don't tell me to calm down. That gets you worked up more than anything. Okay, let me give you what the Bible says. Psalm 4610 says, be still. I'm not going to tell you to calm down. I want you to get worked up. Just be still. Be still and know that I am God. That's a word from the Lord himself. That's what Jesus was commanding to his disciples. Be still. I came across this painting in preparing for this message. It's called Peace in the Midst of the Storm by Jack Dawson. And I know it's probably not the easiest thing to see, especially from wherever you're sitting. But I'd love for you to Google it later. And I don't know about you, but my eyes are instantly drawn to the dark clouds, to the chaotic water rushing over the mountain, to the lightning in the background, to the water that's raging. And isn't that what it's like in life? When things get really difficult, when storms start to rage, that's where our eyes go. It goes to all the things that are going wrong in that moment. And it's going to be really hard for you to see. In fact, you might not be able to see it at all. But there's a little red box that is on the screen now. And inside of that little red box, in the side of this mountain, with everything going on around it, is a bird. And oh, the irony. Oh, the irony. I don't get to pick what animals these illustrators use to make good illustrations. Boy, what a terrible animal to use. But in the rock safely sits a bird on a nest. And isn't that a great depiction of what it looks like when the presence of Christ is in your life? Oh, life is raging all around you, but you're safe in the rock. You find safety in the presence of Jesus. It doesn't necessarily calm the storm around you, but you're safe where you're at in his presence. And there's peace in Christ. The Apostle Paul would say it like this. In fact, he wrote several letters from prison and some of the lines that he gives are just absolutely amazing. He said, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. He wrote that from prison. He said, don't be anxious about anything, but pray about everything. He said, you know, I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth to compare to the glory that's going to be revealed to us. He said, I know that if, if my earthly tent is destroyed, then there's going to be a building from God that's made in the heavens. It's not made with hands. He says, if I'm going to live, it's for Christ and to die is gain. You throw him in prison, he's going to sing and he's going to preach to the prison guard. You physically abuse him and bring him physical harm. He just walks out rejoicing for the honor that it is to suffer for Jesus Christ. You take his life away and he's rejoicing because he's in the presence of Jesus. You couldn't touch the guy. You couldn't take his peace away from him because the very presence of God is not something that can ever be taken from you. Romans chapter 8 says there is nothing in this life, no power, no principality, no force of darkness can ever take the love of God from you or me. Because peace is not found in the absence of conflict. It's found in the very presence of Jesus himself. So what does God's peace tangibly look like? Four indicators that I'll I'll leave you with this morning. Number one, it's your ability to rest. Are you able to sleep? Or are you up most of the night worrying, thinking, unable to shut your brain down? Do you know why you're, able to shut your, you're unable to shut your brain down? Because you're not letting go of control. Because you're thinking of a way to fix it rather than just trusting in the presence of Jesus. Trusting that he'll work it out. 
that he will give you the wisdom and the guidance as to what to do. The second one is your attitude. Are you pleasant to be around? Or is everybody else in your life on edge because you've been on edge due to a situation that's been going on? Number three, do you have a settled feeling? Do you feel at peace or do you feel like you're carrying around this burden that's as heavy as a hundred pound backpack with you everywhere because you're unsettled with everything that's going on? And number four is joy. Are you able to find joy and the blessings even in the worst of circumstances? Because you know that God is in control. He's blessing you or has complaining become your native language? Just moving from one complaint to the next. That's what peace tangibly looks like in our lives. This is what Jesus came to give us. He didn't wield a sword. He bore a cross. He's in command of an army, the entire host of heaven, who is seeking to bring peace on earth. Peace between us and God and peace within. And that peace can be yours today. Colossians 1 and verse 20 says that Jesus came to reconcile all things to God, making peace by the blood of his cross. He did everything. He gave everything so that you could be at peace. Your life may be completely chaotic around you, but your heart can be completely settled and at rest within you because you can find safety in the Prince of Peace. You can find safety in the rock who is Jesus Christ. This morning, if we can encourage you in any way, if you're ready to give your life to Christ and you want to be baptized, we'd love for you to find the peace that only God provides. If you're a Christian, but you've allowed your focus to get off, you're focusing only on the problems and not on Jesus himself, you want to rededicate your heart, you want public prayer, we'd love to pray with you, you want to have a private moment where you stand as we sing in just a moment, please uh, surrender your heart to God. You need to talk to somebody this morning. Find one of our shepherds, one of our uh, ministers. Find a member here and just say, I need you to pray for me so that I can experience the peace of God again. Whatever we can do to encourage you, please let us know. As together we stand and sing.